Welcome to a food podcast. Your turn. That's right. Welcome to the Fruits Podcast. That's right. After hearing those beautiful voices of my children, you now get to spend an hour with this lovely voice. Uh, tonight we'll be discussing election. So as we like to try and do every episode, let's pray and then we will begin. Lord, thank you for giving us your word and for giving us a spirit to discern it. Thank you for giving us tools to uh, interpret your word, God, and thank you for uh, the body of believers that will correct or uh, agree with what I'm saying. I pray that the things I'm saying are uh, accurate and align with your scriptures, Lord, and uh, I will try not to take anything out of context, and Lord, please correct me if I do. Thank you for the people that are going to listen to this show. Let their ears be open to the words that I'm going to say. And let my heart be open to any correction or rebuke that may come my way, Lord. Uh, but let us all stand firm in your in your word and in your gospel. Thank you for all of it. In your name we pray. Amen. Alright, uh, so like I said, tonight we're going to be talking about election. Uh, we might get into a little bit of free will predestination talk, but the main subject is about election. So let's get right into it. When we look at the doctrine of election, it is good to keep in mind that we believe in a sovereign God who knows all things, a God who is sinless or perfect, and we are not to believe he is evil or unjust, but rather he elects or chooses who he shows grace and mercy to. Grace cannot be demanded because it is a gift. In his mercy and love for us, a sinless and perfect God chose to love a sinful and imperfect race. For he sent his son to die for us who did not deserve him, and in our sin we didn't even want him. We should celebrate even if in his grace he decided to just save one of us. But he did so much more than that. He saved and is saving a multitude of us. Not because of our deeds or works, but rather he saves us in his love for us. For while we were yet sinners, he died for us. We will do well to remember that his election of us is about his love, his mercy, his justice, and his choosing. We are not never to equate or pull God down to our human level or our ideas of what we think he should be, or else we will create an idol in our own image, like that of a golden calf, found in Exodus 20. That's my opening statement. Uh, I, I hope everyone understood it. Uh, if you didn't, you can rewind. We're only a couple minutes into the podcast, so it shouldn't be too much skin off your back to rewind if you didn't catch everything. But I hope we don't misconstrue what I say in that subject, uh, but that you guys hear it and see if all that rings true throughout this episode. I want to start with a quote. Like I normally do, uh, this is from R.C. Sproul's. He says, we are secure, not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. Just showing us that it's all about God uh, and not so much about us in this uh, doctrine of election. We'll start out with the verse Romans 8, 20, uh, chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. It says this, we know that all things work together for good 
of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is one of the old familiar free will slash predestination passages of Scripture. Uh, this chapter, before we get to verse 28 and through 30, is talking about the Holy Spirit's work in prayer and also our adoption into Christ's family. So that's just a little bit of the context that we're getting into before we read verse 28. Now verse 28, some things to look at here uh, are, we are called, we do not do the calling, God calls us. And we are called because of God's purpose, not because of our deeds. So, so far, it's God. God does the calling, and God calls us because of his purposes. In verse 29, he foreknew, which means he chose us beforehand. In Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved. He knew us before creation and chose us. The us is referring to the saints or the believers he adopted. He adopted us according to his will. So we just see in verse 29 that he chose us beforehand, before the foundations of the world, according to Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, and he adopted us according to his will. So, so far, there hasn't been much uh, of us in this passage. It's more God. Uh, number 2 in verse 29, he predestined. Uh, our salvation was known by God even before creation. God did not look through the passages of time to see who would be saved, and that's why we're predestined. Uh, God knew. He's an eternal being. Basically, I like to think of it, everything that has ever happened, ever will happen, happened now, according to God. So he didn't have to learn who was uh, saved. He knew. He knew when he, before he even created the world who was saved. We are to be conformed to the image of his Son. Uh, another part of verse 29. This is to glorify God's grace to us because we could not save ourselves. And we'll be getting into the saving of ourselves here in a bit. The uh, so there's in in that passage, I know it's a it's a bigger free will predestination argument, uh, but in that passage we don't really see anything about us our free will, us freely choosing. Let me go back up to it just to check one more time. No. Yeah. So, in in that passage, there's not much free will that you can argue from. You have to take, you know, other scriptures and try to fit it into that argument, which is fine. Uh, but just exegeting from that scripture and even adding in Ephesians just to give us a little bit of context of what uh, predestined means, we we just see that it's all God doing this, not really anything of us. So, 
the next next uh, scripture I'd like to go over is Ephesians, or Romans 9, 1 through 33. So verse 1 through 5, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just give you a summary of what was happening. So verse 1 through 5 talks about Paul's burden for the lost, uh, that he has <coughs> a desire to preach the lost and to you know, speak to the lost because he wants them to become part of the family. Verse 6 through 8 uh, talks about not just Israel being Israel. In, in Romans 2, it talks about us Gentiles being grafted in to the family of Israel. So, not just Israel is Israel. Uh, verse 9 through 12, uh, it's Paul's interpretation of Malachi 1, 1 through 3. Uh, which, I don't know why I don't have it written down. Uh, but I believe that is the verse. Let me actually look it up real quick. I believe that's the verse talking about uh, Esau, uh, Jacob and Esau. It says something like, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Uh, let me go look it up real quick. Sorry about that. I need to find verse 11. Okay, so yes, here's what verse 11 says. Uh, For though her sons had not been born yet or done anything good or bad so that the purpose of so that God's purpose according to election might stand not from works from the one who calls she was told the older will serve the younger as it is written I have loved Jacob but I have hated Esau so and that's that's actually getting into verse 13 uh, but this is Paul's interpretation of Malachi 1, 1 through 3 here. Uh, in verse 14 through 16 of Romans 9, it talks about God decides. God decides what happens. So, just, uh, just to give you a little bit, it says in verse, well, we already read verse 13, so I'll start in verse 14. What should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. So, pausing right there. He's answering the questions that would come up, like we would have after reading this. He's asking the question, and then he's going to answer it. So he says, absolutely not. Verse 15, for he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Verse 16, so then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. So it's just, it's just talking about God is the one who decides uh, who who gets mercy, uh, who who He shows mercy to, not us humans. We don't we don't decide. We don't choose. We don't you know. It's it's God, and just going with so far in our podcast, it's all God so far. In verses seventeen through nineteen, uh, like I said, Paul is giving us our excuses. In his answers to our excuses. So Romans 9, the whole chapter, is very good about election and Paul giving us the questions that we would have and then the answers at the end of, well, is God unjust? No. Here's why not. And then he quotes uh, another passage of scripture, which I believe is Exodus 33:19, the I will show mercy to who I will show mercy. That's where that's found. Now, verses 30 through 33, the ending, 
uh, is Israel's current state. And uh, it's talking about the rock, and the rock is Jesus, uh, to be a... Man, I have to go and look at this up. I think it's uh, that the rock will be a, a stumbling block. So yeah, verse, verse 33, the end of Romans 9 here. As it is written, Look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. Yet the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. <coughs> so, uh, the rock there being Jesus, being that stumbling rock for uh, people, and for he, he's talking to Gentiles here. Uh, so we'll move on to the next passage of scripture. This is kind of be going to be a little bit scripture heavy this episode. Uh, I'm going to try to make some of the later episodes not so scripture heavy, but only have a couple and then exegete them from there. More of a more of a like sermon type, but we'll we'll see how it goes. So Ephesians 1, 4 through 12. I'll read the whole thing. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved. We have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, that he lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he planned in him for the administration of the days of fulfillment to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. We have also received an inheritance in him predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will so that we who had already put our hopes in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. So, we see the clear meaning of this passage. Number one, it is speaking to believers, not to unbelievers, uh, this whole passage. So, it's, it's speaking to the ones who have already believed. That's who he's writing to, the church at Ephesus. And number two, we did not do the choosing of adoption, but God did that whole thing is up until verse 12 there it actually talks about us uh, all the other verses talk about the, the main points are about him doing everything now Ephesians 2 1 through 10 and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ, Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, 
And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. A couple a couple questions with this uh, passage of scripture that I, I come across uh, is, how can a dead thing do anything to come alive? How can a dead thing make itself alive? This is a more logical or philosophical wording of what we see in verse 1. Uh, verse 5 makes it clear that we did not make ourselves alive, but that it was God who is rich in mercy gave us grace based on our work, based on no works of ours. Sorry. Now this does, this does bring up the question of how and why God chose me. And to that, I leave it up to mystery of God. But what I do know is that he is good and merciful because he made me alive and would still be so if he decided to not show me grace. When compared to Jesus, I am nothing and am a sinful man who deserves justice, but I have received grace. A question that I, I like to ask whenever people disagree with me that God did not elect anyone, that everyone chooses God, everyone you know has uh, the same chance to choose God. I like to say this. Will God look over hell and say, I'm sorry, I tried to save you? In other words, will God be disappointed? If, if God's giving everyone the chance and God comes to everyone and draws them, and gives everyone grace, and yet some don't choose him, then will God be disappointed that no one chose him, or some didn't choose him? John six thirty five through 40 I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last, last day. In verse 37 there, we see that the Father is the one who gives. So it says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me. Uh, and continuing on there, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. So we see that the Father is the one who gives the saints to Jesus. In verse 38, we see God's will. It says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And in verse 39 through 40, we see what his will is. He explains what God's will is. And it's that he should lose none of the, the ones that God has given him, but he'll raise them up on the last day. In John six forty-three through 47, Jesus answers them, Stop complaining among yourselves. Oh, that's part of the verse, sorry. Jesus answered them. Stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. 
and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. I assure you, anyone who believes has eternal life. In verse 44 here, we see that God draws us. God does the drawing. He pulls us. In verse 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God's the one who draws us. Uh, and it's, it's just another point that here's, here's God. It's the one who gives grace, as we learned in Romans. God is the one who predestined, who marked us with a seal that, you know, we we can't do anything to get out of his predestined will for us. Uh, and, and the word predestination is a pretty simple word. Uh, it's pre, so beforehand, destination. So if I was going to Chili's, let's say, the restaurant, and I arrived there, I predestined myself to go to Chili's. That was my destination that I chose beforehand, and I showed up there. Just a little bit of explanation, but we'll, we'll read another longer passage here. John 10, 3 through 5, and 25 through 29. I'll, I'll tell you when I'm going to 25 and 29. So verse 3 through 5. The doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of the stranger. Uh, that's the end of verse 5 there. We talked about this in the prophecy episode also, that this is about salvation here. It's not, it's not that we literally hear God's voice. It's, it's a passage about salvation. It's the context. Now verse 25 through 29 in chapter 10. I did tell you, and you didn't, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Uh, in this passage, he's speaking to the Jews in the temple about salvation. What is salvation? Uh, and I just, I find it interesting that starting in verse 25, he says, I did tell you and you don't believe me. So even Jesus, the Son of God, could tell these Jews, you know, he... Throughout Jesus' ministry, he fulfilled prophecy, and he told them prophecy that he was fulfilling, and he did works which were to confirm that he was a messenger from God, and he prophesied, and those prophecies came true, and yet those people still did not believe in him. And we have no inclination in Scripture that after Jesus raised from the dead that they believed. On the contrary, we have evidence that a lot of those Jews uh, from the temple and the Pharisees and the Sadducees still didn't believe. So even then, they didn't believe. And I don't know, thoughts come to my mind where it's like, well, you know, if 
I saw that. We always like to think that if I saw that, I would definitely believe. But Jesus is showing right here that even even if you see these things, you still don't believe me. You've seen the Son of God and you still don't believe. And yet for those people who think that in our sinful state we can choose God, I will let you know about this fact in the Bible, that we cannot choose God and that we don't even want him. And I will give you some examples of this. In John three twenty-seven, John responded, No one can receive a single thing unless it is given to him from the Father. In John six forty-four, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. We read that one. Romans three eleven, There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Pretty cut and clear that uh, you know if God gave us a choice we would not we would not choose him Ezekiel 36 24 through 27 a little bit longer one for I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and I will bring you into your own land I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This this passage, uh, if you know me, I talk about the Old Testament that a lot of it is descriptors and doesn't really pertain to us in the New Testament era here. But this one does because this pertains to us because it is speaking about salvation. The I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Uh, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. These are salvific explanations. It isn't talking about that when the Jews go to their land that God promised them that all these things will happen. It's talking about salvation right here. So so it does pertain to us was my point of that. Uh, number two in this verse or in this passage, it says, so how can... I say, so how can a heart of stone turn itself into flesh? How can we do it ourselves? Obviously we can. It's a spiritual thing. God does it. And number three in this passage, it says that it is something that it says that it is something that he will do. He will give us this new heart of flesh, not that we will get the new heart of flesh. In Romans nine sixteen, uh, we read this one too. So then it does not depend on the human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. This doctrine is all about God's mercy and man's inability to choose God. In Titus 3, 3-7 here, uh, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, don't know what that word is. Uh, oh, hateful. Testing on another, I think. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, He poured out this Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that Having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Yet again, 
His mercy was given to us, and it was not by our works. We did nothing to attain the salvation that we hold dearly to. So who do you serve before God saved you? You are a slave to sin and to your father Satan. You're either a slave to God or you're a slave to sin. If you're a slave to sin, you cannot free yourself. God has to free you. Uh, it, it works out in the real world too. I mean, a lot of times that's how we saw it in uh, the antebellum South, that slaves did not really free themselves. They, You know, when uh, the Eman Emancipation Proclamation was made, that's when the slaves were freed. Someone else freed the slaves legally. John 8, 34 through 47. This is a longer one, but uh, we're, we're getting close to the end here, so bear with me. Hopefully reading God's Word doesn't anger you or something. Uh, I don't know why you'd be listening to the podcast, but John 8, 34 through 47. Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. Therefore, you do, not, you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's, if you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have, on father, we have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God, and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature, because he is a liar and the father of liars. Yet, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's word. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. We see that before salvation, we are slaves to sin. And, of course, this is Jesus talking to the Jews here, uh, but it pertains to us. But when we believe, we become a son of God. Now, the last big passage, uh, I'll warn you, this is the last big passage, then we just have a couple little passages. Uh, Romans six fifteen through 23. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of disobedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, 
you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you transferred to, and having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I am using human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered parts, the parts of yourselves as slaves to moral impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer then as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free from allegiance to righteousness. So what fruit was produced from the things you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now, since you have been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So are you a slave to sin or to righteousness? Before you're saved, which one are you a slave to? Uh, <clears throat> in Isaiah 55, 8-9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 40, 13-14 Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or who gave him his counsel? Who did he consult with? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Let us not say God is unjust, because he chooses us before the foundations of the world, but instead rejoice that he loved us in our sin and unrighteousness. For the amazing thing is that he loved Jacob, not that he hated Esau. It, it, to our minds, if we read the Bible... It makes sense that he hated Esau. He hates sin. He hates the the words of sinners. He hates liars. He hates adulterers. Uh, in I believe it's Psalms, it, it talks about the six thing the Lord hate and seven he detests. And one of them is lying lips. Uh, and of course we see, uh, mm, uh, man, I think it's Malachi. I forget which prophet it is. But he says, he sees God's presence and he says, Lord, I'm a, a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And of course, uh, of course, I can't remember the the prophet there, but he he places a coal to his lips and burns his lips uh, as an act of uh, remembrance of what he's what he says. And it's basically, Lord, you know, I I maybe he thought he was righteous, and when God showed him his presence, he took it in and he said, No, I am I have unclean lips. I do not deserve anything that you're going to give me. So kind of in conclusion, I want to ask a couple questions. Excuse me, I've been talking for like thirty minutes straight. So I'm trying to take a drink. My voice is getting a little bit dry, but one of my questions is this. Does, does Which one of these did God choose for salvation? Number one, that everyone and anyone had the, oppor 
has the opportunity for salvation. He leaves it up to us to choose him, to accept him as our Lord and Savior, as a lot of people say. Is it left up to us to choosing? Number two, did he did he die for everyone and all everyone's sins are forgiven, therefore no one would be in hell? Well, we can kind of see that uh, that one is not true because we, we know there's people in hell and the Bible is very clear about that, that there will be more people in hell. Sorry about that. I had to, had to pause there for a minute. I had something to do. Uh, but as I was saying, does God, obviously God does not save everyone because there's people in hell. Or number three. So it's really just number two here. But does God choose people to be saved, therefore ensuring that some will come to salvation and will be in heaven? So will does God choose some and make sure that some come to heaven, or does he leave the choice up to everyone? And after that, that means there's a possibility. God would leave the possibility that no one would choose him if he said everyone has a choice. It's their free will. It's, it's their option to choose. Uh, there's a possibility that no one would come to him. And the verses that we read is no one seeks after God. No one, no one wanted God. No one wants to be saved from their sin because their sin keeps them happy in this life. It, it keeps them wanting more of that sin. So those out of those two options, the more loving option seems to be that God makes sure that some would choose him, that some would be in heaven, that some would get mercy rather than justice because God receives glory whether he saves someone and brings them to heaven and God also receives glory by justice sending those sinners to hell. And if you disagree with that, well then I'm sorry you might want to reread your Bible a couple times because God gets the glory. Justice is a part of God and if he had imperfect justice he would not be God. There has to be justice and God also chooses that there will be mercy. He does not have to give anyone mercy. And it's wrong of us to demand that God gives everyone the chance. God, everyone gets the choice to choose you. That's demanding the free gift that God's given us. God gives grace and he gives mercy to the ones he chooses to give mercy to, as uh, we explained in Malachi. So if you think I'm talking about salvation as if God's this authoritarian that arbitrarily chooses people to be saved and arbitrarily chooses people to go to hell. No, God chooses who he wants to have mercy on and who he wants to bring to heaven. Yet again, not, not out of anything we do, not out of God looking to the passage of time, because if God did that, God would be learning something. And we don't believe that God learns anything. God's never learned a single thing in his life. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all these omnis. He's everything. He knows all. And for us to suggest that God would look through the passage of time, see who would be saved, and therefore then he predestined them before time really begins, 
is absurd to me. It's discounting who our God is and making him less than what he is. And I also think we we prop ourselves up too much when we say that everyone has a choice. Not everyone has a choice in that sense of choosing God. God shows mercy on who he has mercy. I keep on repeating it because it's so true and we've seen that throughout the passage the couple passages I've read tonight. But like I said at the end the amazing thing is that God loved Jacob. Jacob didn't do anything to deserve that love. Yet God loved that horrible, sinful, wretched man. And he does the same for me and for my other brothers and sisters in Christ. He chose to love that person. He chose chose to give them mercy instead of justice. How dare we demand that God gives everyone this choice? Because if God gave everyone this choice and it was somehow up to us to choose God, none of us would. And God, therefore, God wouldn't really need to send his son if that was going to be the case. Because if we had the choice, no one would choose him and Jesus died for nothing. Or Jesus died, uh, it's called limited atonement, that Jesus died for the ones that he saved. That he died for the ones that he elected. It's a beautiful picture that Jesus didn't just die and say, okay, everyone. Anyone can choose me, but if you don't choose me, I, I died for your sins, but yet you're still going to hell. It's illogical, number one, and it's not biblical. If Jesus died for every single person ever, and it was all up to us to choose, one, we would be performing a work, and we could boast to other people that we chose God, but when we see the Bible in the light that I believe it is, speaking to us throughout these verses, we can't boast. Me, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I have the assurance of salvation. And I can't boast that I'm going to heaven because I didn't do anything. Even the good works I do aren't from me. They're God who does the good works through me. He sets them up. I do them in this reality that we see. But it is God who can do all the good things through me. I cannot do one good thing. My righteousness is like filthy rags. It means nothing if I don't have God, if I don't have Jesus. So I'd like I'd like to leave y'all on on that statement. That statement, uh, does God die for everyone and we choose? Therefore, there's a possibility that no one would be saved or did God out of love and out of mercy predestine and elect some to be saved. We, you know, I just, just throughout the Bible you read, John John is a, a good book to kind of see this through. I mean, we read a lot in John, a lot in Romans, but John throughout, I didn't pull all the verses that I could have pulled out of John just talking about how Jesus talks about how the Father does all these things and how we could do nothing and how we are evil and wretched and wretched is a great word to use for us even us who are saved we're still wretch wretches but by the grace of god we're judged by the one who died for us we can go to 
heaven and be confident saying, God, you judge me from your son. I am as righteous as your son. And that sounds arrogant to say I'm as righteous as Jesus, but God doesn't look at the things that we've done or anything that we've done. He looks at that one is marked with my son. Therefore, I will judge him accordingly. And he is righteous because my son is righteous. Not because he's righteous. It's all my son. Even in salvation, even in our looking, it's it's weird if you have the view of everyone chooses and, you know, God needs to be fair. We can't, you know, even saying that you can't really wrap your mind around because it, it life isn't fair. I mean, there's some people who've grown up like me with a, a church going family, people who love God around me, people who uh, talk scriptures with me, all these things compared to a person that grows up in the ghetto that gets into gang violence, who doesn't have anyone who shows him God. And yet you're saying that God needs to be fair. Are two separate situations. Somehow that is fairness that we, one, we live in different situations, but we should get the same choice when that person may not have that choice. He, you know, may die in gang violence and never hear the word of God and, Sorry to say, that person didn't have the same fair choice. He found justice, yet I find mercy. And yet again, not because of anything I did. And even if I was that person in the ghetto, and I was an elect of God, I would hear the gospel, and I would turn to Jesus, because he predestined me before the foundations of the world. And if you can't see the love in that, you can't see the undeservingness of us, us sinners in that, then I'm sorry, I, I don't know what to say to you. But if you see love in Jesus dying for every single person, yet sending those same people he died for to hell, I don't think you're, you have the right view of Jesus. You have a, a lovey-dovey Jesus who died for everyone, yet... He still sends those people that he died for to hell. Jesus died for nothing in that case of those people. But if God predestined us and God elected us, then Jesus died for us, the elect, not for the person that's burning in hell. It may sound harsh to some people, but that's the true reality of it. Is If you believe that God did not elect us, then you believe that person who's burning in hell has the same gift from God, yet God arbitrarily chooses him to go to hell, even though Jesus died for him. I'll, I'll leave it on that note. Next week, I have a uh, an interview set up. Hopefully this one works out. I think it will. Uh, I know one of the guys really well. And the other guy I know pretty well. So it's going to be a two, two people in here, hopefully. It might just be one talking. We'll have to figure out the mic situation. But like always, we'll, we'll pray and we'll end here. Uh, it's a little bit shorter of an episode, but I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope to hear some feedback. But let's pray and then we'll get into that. Lord, thank you for showing 
your children, your beloved, the ones elected by you, mercy, God. And thank you for showing the ones who deserve your justice, as we all do, justice, Lord. Thank you for sending your Son so that we could have his righteousness attributed to us. Thank you for all these things you've done for us and for the for loving us when we don't deserve to be loved and for pulling us out of the ways of our father Satan and for adopting us to become your children. Thank you, Lord. Let us hear your voice when we read scripture, not physically, but your discerning voice as we read scripture and let us not try to bring biases in or uh, to say that God isn't fair or that God is unjust as Paul says absolutely not God but that you are just but you are also merciful that you are loving but you also have wrath for the sinner and for the sins that those sinners commit thank you for all this and thank you for the people listening I pray that they would be able to receive this and not think that I'm coming out of a place of spite or out of a place of boasting about my salvation, but out of a place of wanting your, your people to understand your doctrine of salvation. Because if I would have it, if I was God, as people say, I would have it a different way, but thank you that I am not. Because I... I could not come up with a better way to save a sinful people that do not want me. Thank you for all this. In your name I pray. Amen. Alright. Now we will plug in our uh, things. Maybe we'll get some people replying to uh, the, the Twitter and the email this week. Seems like a little bit of a subject where people might reply. So if you want to reach me with rather corrections... Praise if you want to. I I don't deserve it. Um, like none of us deserve anything good. But if if you have any questions, concerns, comments, uh, encouragements, send them to on Twitter at the Fruits Pod, or email me thefruitspod at yahoo.com, and I will try to either answer the questions in an episode or write back to you. But. Thank you for listening, and thank you for any one of you that sends anything in. And even if you don't, if you just take this podcast and it does something for your life, thank God. And I I pray that we would all have the courage to preach the gospel and to unashamedly preach Christ. Thank you for listening. See you guys next week. Bye-bye.